He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. And every week, Andy Hall's bringing them to you on the Laser Airwaves. This week in Andy's Hall Pass. Not only one of the greatest guitarists of all time, he has also served in the role of teacher for some of the greatest guitarists of all time. Names including Steve Vai, Testament's Alex Skolnick, Metallica's Kirk Hammett, and many others. The one and only Joe Satriani is my special guest, courtesy of Time Out Bar and Arcade, downtown Ames, the next level of Arcade. Hi, Joe. Hey, Andy. How are you? Great. It's always an honor to share the airwaves with you. Well, thank you very much. We're excited for April 10th and the release of your new studio album, Shapeshifting. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, 18th album? You are absolutely correct. That's amazing, isn't it? Can't believe it's been 18 now. I Holy. know. People have been reminding of it, me of it, and I'm just, uh, I, I don't know, I can't quite fathom it. I don't know where the time went, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, they say time flies when you're having fun, so you must be doing something right. Boy, I really do like playing guitar, making music, making records, playing on stage. It's uh, it's really, I mean, I'm so fortunate, and my fans are the greatest in the world. They let me do this uh, year after year, so I'm happy. The lead track, 1980. Just saw the video for it and loved it. Oh, great. Thank you. It's a bit of a funny throwback song, isn't it? Well, that title, I can only assume, is in reference to the year 1980, yes? Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, last year we uh, finished up, me and my, my old friends from back in the 80s, we finished up this uh, compilation of songs from this band I was in called The Squares. Yes. So it took us 40 years, but we did finally get a record deal, and we released one, the one and only Squares album. And uh, when it was all done, I was sitting at home in my studio, and I was just thinking, uh, what was it that, you know, felt like unfinished you know, artistic business in that band. What was it that I wanted to do with the band that we never did? And that song just sort of came out. So it is a, it's a, it's a, a celebration of a memory of, I guess, all the things I, I thought we were going to do, but we never got around to doing, which is why I started the song with a guitar solo. That's something like, for some reason, we thought that was uncool back then, but um, that's what I really wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, so that that song is sort of like a, a celebration of that era. You let her rip, no question. Another thing I find interesting about that particular year is that so many of your guitar heroes and mine were still active, making records, playing shows, guys like Page and Blackmore and May. But a new generation was just beginning to emerge, too. Guys like Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, and former students of yours like Steve Vai, Kirk Hammett. 1980 feels like a real pivot point for the innovation of guitarists like yourself that dreamed of making a guitar sing like Hendrix did. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny about that period there. I'm, I was living in uh, Berkeley, California. I was teaching at a little guitar store called Secondhand Guitars, and I'm in this band called The Squares. We're playing all the clubs in the basically like 50-mile area of the Bay Area. And during the day, I'm teaching Kirk Hammett, Alex Skolnick, Larry Lalonde, I mean, you name it, all the guys that wound up being thrash metal icons of the world, yeah. you know, we're still in high school, and, you know, even even jazz guitar players uh, like Charlie Hunter was taking lessons, uh, Kevin Cadigan, who went on to, uh, to be in Third Eye Blind, I mean, it's pretty remarkable uh, how that, that little town there uh, Berkeley, California, was like uh, you know ground zero for what was coming—the next wave of guitar heroes. It was 
very exciting. And to be a part of that, I, looking back, I'm sure you're like, God, we didn't know it at the time, but look at what has happened. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, I've done a couple of shows with Metallica, and, you know, uh, Kirk and I just looking at each other backstage going, wow, how did we ever get here? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Joe, the decision to spell the title out rather than title it numerically was an interesting choice I have to ask about. Yeah, you know, I went back and forth with that. You know, I think when I first uh, composed the song, I very quickly wrote down 1980 and just focused on it, as I usually do when I'm writing an instrumental. And But as I started to work on the larger aspects of the record, you know, like what's the cover going to look like, how am I going to sequence the songs, I started to realize that just having the number, it didn't really give it its due, you know, and I, and I thought when you spell it out, you think about it just a little bit more deeply, you know, and and so um, I brought it up actually to the committee, so to speak, to the team in the studio, and everybody felt the same way, they wanted to spell it out, you know, so that's how it stuck that way. I alluded to the video a bit ago, which is available now, and was shot and directed by your son, Zizi. How awesome is it for you to give your son an opportunity like that? Oh, it's so great to work with him. You know, I, I have to tell people, you know, he started making podcasts for us. Uh, God, he must have been like 10 or 11 years old. And we were, you know, he's been out on tour with me since he was four. So he's no stranger to what his old man does for a living. (laughs) And he kind of revolutionized how we related to our fans on the Internet because he was making uh, skateboard videos. And then he started shooting us. And, you know, he didn't care about us. We're just a bunch of funny old guys, you know, playing guitars and stuff. So he brought this really, really funny attitude towards it. And then he taught me how to work with iMovie and and the the programs of the day and you know now of course he he's got a degree in filmmaking and he's down in Los Angeles working for a lot of different people uh and you know he did the documentary for me uh and and that was a, a really big deal you know that, that to get a documentary shot about you know an instrumental guitar player going through a uh, creative crisis on on the road, and and just the fact that we got it sold to Access TV and it's streaming on Quello, and it's just pretty amazing uh, the work that he's done. So yeah, I, I'm yeah, every time I work with him, uh, I just think, wow, this is so amazing. He's so talented, and he still has that irreverent sort of uh, attitude uh, towards his father <laughs> playing guitar for a living. Sure. Great. Some really striking imagery here, like the beautiful Ibanez as you're playing, of course, and the multiple Marshall stacks behind you. I also noticed Kenny Aronoff playing drums. Yes. Well, you know, Kenny and I uh, go way back. We um, we did that last uh, Chicken Foot tour together. He, he filled in for Chad Smith for the Chicken Foot 3 tour. And uh, so we've been good friends since that tour. And then last year we did two tours uh, together uh, for the Experience Hendrix runs. And uh, it was myself and Doug Pinnock uh, playing bass and singing. We just had a blast. And it was during that tour that I realized that he would be perfect for uh, this new record, which is, you know, pretty eclectic. Every, you know, 13 songs are all different styles. Uh, but I wanted it to be really big and rocking and he's the guy you know he's just absolutely amazing on the drums yeah he's a monster behind the kit i also recognize chris cheney playing bass which is cool another guy that has played on a ton of great records yes yeah well chris and i did uh, unstoppable momentum together uh what was that four years ago four or five years ago yep, yep. amazing uh in the studio because he, he just he's so professional 
he makes us the greatest sound. He's got perfect timing, uh, and he's so he's just so much fun to hang around with. He's always got great ideas. He's always adding new stuff, elevating everything that you think that you did was cool. He says, yeah, well, I can do it like this, and then it's like so much cooler. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's great. And, you know, I love what he does with Jane's Addiction, and he's on so many movie soundtracks. It's amazing. You just never think about it, but that's, you know, he's also the first call guy down there in L.A. doing those sessions. And you've got some uh, guests on this record as well. I'm a Minneapolis guy, Joe, born and raised, so of course I have to bring up the name Lisa Coleman, who famously played with Prince in the Revolution. That's Right. Well, uh, we had um, a couple of spots where we were looking for something really unique. You know, I do a lot of keyboards at home, and and uh, Eric Codio, who I've worked with a lot uh, on, in the last 15, 20 years, is also playing some keyboards on the record. But we needed something really unique and, and that had a lot of heart and soul in it. And Eric brought to my attention the fact that Lisa was available and he was going to be doing some other sessions with her. So uh, I was so happy that she stopped by the studio one day and she played on two songs for us. Uh, and uh, she really added her magic to the record. I'm very happy about that. Well, the other name, Joe, that stood out was Christopher Guest, who famously played guitarist Nigel Tufnell and maybe the greatest rock and roll film of all time. This is Spinal Tap. I know. Chris <laughs> is really amazing. He's such a talented guy. And, and it's really kind of funny in a way that I would reach out for him to play mandolin. But, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, he's an amazing musician and, uh, and, and, and is a fantastic uh, acoustic guitarist and mandolin player. Would you say mandolinist? I was just realizing I don't, I've never said that before. Mandoliner? But, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question. Good question, right? Throw <laughs> it out to the fans out there. Um, and so I, I, you know, I just it was a long shot. So uh, I just uh, sent him the track. I said I got this really unusual song. It's a really happy track that ends a record. And it's a real surprise, and I just really need, like, your touch on what to do with the mandolin. And, uh, you know, I had already put on, Lisa was on the track, and uh, Eric was on there playing Marxophone and Squeezebox. Oh, cool. I played banjo and acoustic guitar, and Kenny and Chris were on there, and we were just, you know, wondering what to do. And and, uh, Chris very quickly turned it around and gave us two really cool performances, and we were able to uh, fit them all in there. And, uh, you know... Yeah, uh, he, he's a he's a good friend, but he is a just a monster filmmaker, comedian, actor, and and a great guitarist as well. You know, do mandolins go to eleven? They, mu- I think they go to twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask Christopher next time I have the opportunity. I'm sure he'll have the definitive answer on this. It is an eclectic record, no question. Uh, we talked about the inspiration behind a song like 1980. What's fascinating to me is a guy that has a catalog as extensive as yours continues to push creative boundaries, not only in your playing, but also the stories behind these songs. And you got a lot of that on this album. Yeah, uh, I was really moved uh, to to dig deeper with uh, the stories and to not, um, I don't know, n- you know, not to hold myself back and say, oh, that's too deep, you know, or it's too heavy. Uh, uh, but I-, I guess I-, I hit a balance where I thought I've got plenty of songs that are just fun to listen to, and which I still really like, you know, songs, I, go- I look back at my catalog and I think summer songs, Surfing with Alien, they're just fun, they're not heavy subjects, and it's good to have fun songs, you know, but sometimes you need something that's deeper, 
and it it could be about just you know the problems we face as human beings you know uh, so there are songs on the record where you, it makes you think, and it may be very cathartic. I, I think about the song Teardrops that's on the new record, that every time that we worked on it in the studio, it seemed like it brought deep feelings out of everybody in the room, you know, and every there was always silence at the end of the song because everyone was thinking about something in their life, you know. And uh, I knew I'd got it right, you know, and, and uh, it's... I think there should be a space on everyone's record where you've got one song that's a bit cathartic, you know, that pushes a button that makes you reflect a bit, you know. Uh, but I, I have to say, I made sure there was more fun on the record than anything else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just a couple quick items before I let you go. And again, I can't thank you enough for your time today. You're welcome. I read the song All for Love is something you've been working on for quite a while, only now getting to where you wanted it to go. Is that a pretty rare thing for you to revisit older ideas that were unfinished and get them worked out? Or have you done a decent amount of that over the course of your career? Yeah, it, it does happen. Um, I, I, you know, think back to the Surfing with the Alien record. There was a song on there called Lords of Karma, and those opening chords that form the basis of, of the verse melody uh, I wrote those chords when I was in high school. Oh, wow. I think I was about 16 or 17. You know, I, I remember like it was yesterday, back from a crazy party. It was about 4 in the morning, and I was strumming my guitar. And I came up with those chords, and I uh, I wrote it down in the strangest way, because I guess I, got, I didn't have all my manuscript chops down. And that piece of paper kind of just, you know, followed me out to California and, you know, Years later, there I am making an album, and I pulled this little piece of paper out that I scribbled on when I was in high school, and there were those chords. And, and I, I wrote that, finally sort of like uh, rewrote or pulled it all together and was in the studio that week, and that song wound up on the album. And I, and I thought, wow, that was like a 15-year journey. And so it does seem like every couple of records there's one song that has had that kind of a journey. And, and you're right, that song All for Love started in the late 90s. The first recording I made of it was in 2000. And it just sort of popped up now and then. Then I forgot about it until last year. And then finally I figured out what to do with it. Um, and so uh, it, it just, it, again, and it turned out to be an important moment in the studio because we, we did about nine or ten takes, and the last take was the one that we kept because I, I think I finally figured out how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Speaking of catharsis, when something's sitting on the shelf for that long and then you finally finish it, that's got to be an amazing feeling. It is. It's a great feeling, like you finally got something off your chest, you know, that's yeah. been sitting there and you didn't know that it was weighing you down. And, yeah, so it's liberating. We're looking forward to getting our hands and our ears on the new album, your 18th shape shifting i see you have a pretty extensive tour lined up for europe into the summer of 2020 any plans to hit the states later in the year absolutely uh i know the dates haven't been posted yet but we uh come back from uh europe uh in mid-june uh we go to south america i think um end of july through august and then starting towards the end of september we do an extensive two months across north america very cool. I know you've mentioned in the past when I've had you on that traveling the world and seeing all these different places is truly one of the great thrills of this job for you. It is. I, I love uh, you know being in different places. The traveling can uh, the actual traveling can really wear you out. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a, a privilege to be able to uh, go 
to all different cities around the world and to play for your fans. It's, there's nothing better than that, you know, so I never complain. Well, I'm one of them, Joe. Always have been a big fan of yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine, believe me. Hope to have you back again soon, Joe, and looking forward to hearing Shapeshifting April 10th. Thank you. Thanks, Andy.